Our sermon text today is in, found in Ephesians 2. Our text is two verses in Ephesians 2. The two verses are verse 16 and 17, but for context, uh, I will begin with verse 13. So hear the word of the Lord. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, and members of the household of God. Since the reading of God's holy word, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, you have done marvelous things, and we revel in these truths. Help us now to meditate upon them well. May we grow in our appreciation for you and our ability to glorify you in our lives. Lives of obedience, a joyful duty. We pray that the words of my mouth will be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. We have been working very slowly through Ephesians because I don't know what I would do after we're finished with Ephesians. I'd have to learn another book of the Bible, which is kind of scary. But until then, uh, we're racing through two verses of Ephesians 2. No longer just one verse, but two. And uh, these two verses belong together. They can be divided into two parts. But you, you want to see verse 17 in light of verse 16. And it's this business of brought near. And then... Uh, this this uh, further point about making peace. A big part. I'm, I'm dealing actually. I beg your pardon. It's verses 17 and 18. Your your bulletin is correct. I was wrong. So it's verses 17 and 18. Um, but you want to interpret verse 18 in light of verse 17. Got my numbers mixed up. Excuse me. And part of this is what I read earlier this evening from Deuteronomy 4. Let me read. Uh, uh, let me repeat that for you, Deuteronomy 4, 7. For what great nation is there that is a God so near to it as the God, the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And notice how that connects with verse 17. He came and preached peace to you who are far off, peace to those who are near, because he has brought us near. We are near because he brought us near to himself. Uh, so he is near to us, by bringing us near. And 
Uh, this was at the inauguration of the work of Christ in Acts uh, chapter 2, you have a promise given, uh, announced by Peter in this initial sermon where he says, for this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So last time we talked about the reconciliation that God has brought, verse 16, uh, reading 2 Corinthians 5.20. Let me read that for you, 2 Corinthians 5.20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Now, I hope you didn't miss the point that Paul says God is appealing to his audience when Paul makes that appeal. It is God making his appeal through us. This is vital for understanding our passage. Uh, Paul, when he's speaking here, is saying, God is speaking to you through me. Uh, and this is, this is something early on in my Christian life when I was reading the Bible, I have to admit to you, I thought Paul was very arrogant that he would say things like this, that, you know, God is making his appeal to you through me. Uh, and, and I was thinking, that's, that's quite a claim, Paul. Why don't you tone it down a little bit? But brothers and sisters, Paul, thank God, did not tone it down. And the reason is he wants us to be assured that this message is from God, that what he's announcing is God's word to us. Uh, and therefore, it is not a human invention. It is not like he sat down with some sort of magic glasses, we all know where that comes from, and came up with some sort of new religion that he's going to announce and then is trying to draw people into his own circle of influence. This is, this is Paul saying, it's not me. I'm not here to glorify myself. I'm here to glorify God and to assure you that this is a work of God. Now I'd like you to look at verse 17. We have this business of reconciliation that Christ has done. Notice beginning in verse 13, it's Christ Jesus. You have been brought near by the blood of Christ. It's Christ Jesus who's the topic that continues to verse 17 when it says, and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Now, when is it that Jesus went to Ephesus to those people far off and preached to them? See, that's the question, isn't it? Because that's exactly what Paul just said. He, Christ Jesus, came, and it doesn't say, you know, this generic preach to those people who ever far off. He said, no, he preached to you who were far off. The Lord Jesus Christ came to you and preached to you. This is, this is really not expected. If, 
in our sermon series through Matthew, we already bumped into this verse in Matthew 10, where it says this, Matthew 10, verse 5, these 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans. Oh no, don't go to Ephesus. Are you kidding? No way. You stay here with Israel. Don't go out there. Everything changed. This is the same one. This is the same Jesus in the same Gospel of Matthew that ends by him saying, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. You go and I will be with you even to the end of the age. Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. Notice Samaria. He said, don't go to Samaria. Now he says, you go to Samaria. Things have changed. Jesus has all authority in heaven and earth, and he's taking over the place. And he's not taking over Israel. He's not taking over Jerusalem. He's taking over the world. He's taking over heaven and earth. That is his authority. That is what he claims. This is his realm, and he would have us. This is Jesus' work. You know, the gospel, or the, I should, I should call it the gospel of the book of Acts. It's the gospel. <laughs> it's the great news. It's actually Luke book, book two, okay? Luke book one is the gospel of Luke. Luke book two is the book of Acts. That's, that's really how you should think of it. Because here's how it opens. Book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, Luke 1, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. See, I just was what he started to do. Now I'm going to start unfolding what he continues to do. This is Jesus. So who preached peace in Ephesus? Jesus. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 2.17. He came and preach peace to you who were far off. You are the ones who received the, the word of Jesus. Well, how does that work? How is it that you can hear Jesus in uh, other people proclaiming his message? Well, it's, you don't have to go far or invent anything uh, that those people would not already understand and it's the office of a herald. We have the name herald, and that comes from this office. A herald is a loud-voiced man, <laughs> invariably a man because he can shout really loud, who would walk through an area and shout a message. But he didn't shout his own message. He always was given a message. Uh, it's sort of like the guy who's hired to pull a banner on the back of his uh, airplane at the coast, and you know the banner advertises something that he pulls behind his uh, airplane, but somebody gave him the message to write on the banner. That's just what you have with a herald. It's, it's the words of somebody else, and it's that person speaking when he shouts. The herald is not presenting his own message. He, he's presenting a message given to him. That's very critical. Now, let me give you an example of this. And I'm going to reveal to you what a strange bird I really am. You already knew that, but 
It's because uh, this is the kind of thing I read, Bobrius. Who ever heard of Bobrius? I mean, well, he's one of my best friends. He's dead, but, you know, this is the kind of thing that I read. First century author, okay, first century, Paul's era. And it's fables. Well, stories, funny, sto fun stories. And he tells a story of a farmer who is digging trenches with his mattock. Uh, some of you may know what a mattock is. Uh, it's a hoe with a very big blade. And like a hoe, you know, you, dig, you drive it down and pull with it. Um, and with a mattock, in particular, you're digging trenches because you're able to dig a big, you know, clod of earth and pull it. Um, and so this farmer lost his mattock. And he knows one of his servants uh, stole it and probably sold it. So he, he uh, knows his servants stole, but he doesn't know which one. So he's got to find out which one of his servants stole the mattock. Okay? This is the parable. Okay? Or it's a, you know, it's a story. So here's what we read in Babrus. This is a first century author, pagan author. Here's what he says. For people, so he, excuse me, the farmer decides to go to the city and to consult the gods in the city to find out who stole the mattock. And here's why. For people suppose that those among the gods who are simpletons live in the country. And those that are in the city are unerring and observe everything that goes on. So in the city, you have very sophisticated, smart gods. And in the country, you have these simpletons, these dopey gods that don't. They, they couldn't tell you who stole anything because they're you know, half asleep all the time. So he goes into the city, and what does he do? He goes with his servants because he's going to you know, find out which one of them stole the mattock. Uh, and they're sitting, resting after coming into the city. And all of a sudden, a herald comes by. And the herald shouts out, with a thousand drachma, uh, a reward is being given by the temple of Zeus to find out who stole the property of the temple. <laughs> so you know what the farmer concludes. Well, if Zeus can't figure out who stole his own property, <laughs> you know, he's not going to be able to tell me who stole my mattock. So that's the moral of the story. Don't assume the city gods are smarter than the, the, the dumb country gods. This is, these are pagans that talk openly about this stuff, okay? Let me give you another one, another example of a herald. And this one is a little more interesting, I hope you find. This is a statue base. A statue base is a, a big block of, of uh, granite, uh, marble actually, a big block of marble. And on top of it, it's a statue of a person. And on the statue base, they would chisel uh, messages, you know, whatever you, you want written on that statue base. So there were these chiseling of uh, these messages, and we have those. We have 4,000 from the city of Ephesus, those chiseled stone messages. So there's 4,000. Some are very short. Some are actually quite long. Uh, and if you were to read them, here's one that you would read that the state council, so the big city government of Ephesus, determined that public honors would be given uh, by a herald 
at the public funeral of a woman named Livia Paola with a message, quote, the state council and people crowned Livia Paula, daughter of Lucius, who lived a prudent and well-ordered life. Those are actually two words that appear in 1 Timothy for women and etc. This is just a common uh, public attribute. But the point is, this herald is given a message by the state council at the funeral. Here's what he's going to say, quote, uh, he's given a message. Paul probably saw that statue. It was actually chiseled 20 years or so before he arrived at Ephesus. So it's still standing in Ephesus when he was there. So you, you just heard read a message that probably Paul read when he was at Ephesus. So when he talks about stuff at Ephesus and Ephesians, this is the kind of thing that he knows is in stone, written there, that these people know. See, the people of Ephesians, that's Ephesus, they walk by this statue every day. So this is, you know, the stuff of, you talk about a herald, this is what they're reading every day, and they're experiencing. They know heralds all over the place. So when Paul says that he's a herald, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, that's how you should think of me. I'm a herald. You know what that means. It's, it's like that stuff. He doesn't have his own message. He is given a message, and when you hear the herald, you're hearing the one who gave him the message. That's the key to being a herald. This is what Paul says in Romans chapter 10, verses 13 and 14. Romans 10, 13 and 14. Let me read this for you. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How is it then that they can call upon whom, in whom they've not believed? And how is it that they can believe whom they've not heard? And how is it that they can hear apart from someone acting like a herald, preaching? And how can they act like a herald, preach, if they have not been sent? You can see the chain there. The herald has to be sent and when he's sent, then he can proclaim the message so that people can hear the one who sent him. So that's what Paul's talking about in Ephesians 2.17. You are hearing Christ because I don't make up this message to you. It has been given to me, and I've been sent to you to give you this message. Now, brothers and sisters... The Lord Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He still sends you heralds. That is my office. When I step into the pulpit, I'm not speaking my own message. And the elders are charged with overseeing my preaching so that I am obligated by Christ and by the authorities over me in our church that I must preach the word of God to you and not my own message. This is why I work on sermons. It's not something I just come up with off the, on the fly. This is, this is because it's the word of Christ to you. Uh, 
insofar as I'm proclaiming the word of God, you're hearing the voice of Christ to you. And he is proclaiming to you with the authority of Christ, you have been brought near in the blood of Christ Jesus. The gospel is not what I made up. It's not what anybody in this church made up. This is the word of God. And because of that, you know, you know infallibly that it is true because Christ proclaims it to you. And through the Holy Spirit, it penetrates your heart and then becomes a part of your life. And then you have hope that grows more and more despite your physical circumstances. This is the remarkable thing about Christianity. We are not engaged in some sort of mind tricks. This is not just hopeful thinking that will bear fruit because we hope long enough, click our heels together, and maybe, you know, if we work hard enough, we'll make it true for ourselves. It's true because it's the word of God to us. So Christ preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those of you who are near. And now notice the effect of this in verse 18. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. This is this, is this access that is emphasized by Paul also in the book of Romans, but it's access which is mind-boggling. It's, it comes across so easily when we read it, but it is mind-boggling. Remember what I read last week with Nadab and Abihu, who went into the, the Holy of Holies and offered strange fire. Fire came out and destroyed them because it was not authorized. They were not authorized to draw near to God. They had no access at that point because they made up their own rules. Brothers and sisters, you have access now because he has drawn you near, not in your own sacrifices, on your own terms. You can't make up terms to satisfy God's demands. You should give it up forever. You cannot invent a religion that will be effective to bring you close to the living God. No matter how genius you are, it just will not work. Because he has to agree to it. <laughs> and here's the one he's agreed to. You come in my son. I sent him for you. And you come in his name. And that's what we have here. Notice, notice what we have here in verse 18. For through him we both, Jew and Gentile, people far, people near, everybody, no distinction. The dividing walls have been thrown down. No distinction whatsoever. Male, female, slave, free, Americans, non-Americans, make no difference. We all, as one body, have been brought near to God and have access in one spirit to the Father. Brothers and sisters, this is very critical. Let me read to you from Hebrews 7, 19. For the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, there is a bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. He has called you to draw near to him and given you access. Well, brothers and sisters, he's going to go on in a few verses. It's hard to not want to just read on <laughs> to the end of this chapter, because it is spectacular stuff. Uh, and that is, 
already indicated for us in verse 18. Access in one spirit. He's, he's basically going to tell us, you're not going to Jerusalem. You people in Ephesus, you people in Corvallis, you don't have to go to Jerusalem because you now have access to the throne of grace, to the holy of holies, through him in one spirit. Because where the spirit of God is, there God is, Father, Son, and Spirit. The Spirit of God brings you into the presence of God. Where he is, you are with the Father. Where the Spirit is, you are with the Son. Because there God is present through the Spirit. This is who he is. He's the one who effectively brings about all of God's will. And his will is that we have access now to the Father. And notice that. Through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Through him, through the Son, in the Spirit, to the Father. A Trinitarian work. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Access to the Father. This is our redemption. It is one thing. I want you to, I want you to read Psalm 139 this week. And I particularly want you to look at Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10. And I will read it to you, but I want you to meditate on the beauty of this. Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall guide me and your right hand shall hold me. Notice, your spirit is there, you are there. Where the spirit of God is, there he is. And so we have access to the Father through the spirit unleashed upon us in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us then approach with confidence the throne of grace. <laughs> let us then draw near in confidence to the throne of grace. Now, we do that in our prayer meeting. You have infallible assurance that when you pray to your heavenly Father in Christ Jesus through the Spirit, he hears you because you have access to him now. This access is given to you because and accomplished by Christ Jesus. This is what Christ has did, done. And then he assures you of this. He, he assures your heart here on the other side of the world. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. His, his will has not changed for people in this world. If you, are, if you have been far off from God, he has preached peace to you that if you come to him, you have access to the Father through our Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah 52, 7. Christ preaches. Like the feet of the one who announces the good news of the report of peace. Like one who spreads glad tidings of good things. For I make your salvation heard and say to Zion, your God will reign. Isaiah 57. I have given him genuine consolation, peace upon peace, to those far off, as well as to those who are near. And the Lord said, I will heal them.
God says, I have given him consolation. And then he puts the message in the mouth of our Savior, peace, peace to those who are far off and to those who are near. Brothers and sisters in the Lord, this is a great gospel. A God who is so kind to us to send his own son to proclaim his word to us. So you live in light of that truth. And you come before the throne of grace confidently in Christ Jesus and give him glory day in and day out. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, our God, we have such a wonderful Savior, the Prince of Peace. The truth of that, oh, Lord, is beyond all imagining. It's unfathomable. And the cost to him was a cross. The cost to us is simply faith. Help us to grow in our most holy faith together, to revel in it, to become more sanctified, to follow you more heartily, more with joy and with dedication to live in the, for the glory of Christ with lives sanctified, set apart for good things that you called us for. We pray that you will uh, bless us but now, O oh Lord, we pause to thank you. Thanks are not enough. So one day, O oh Lord, we will throw crowns at your feet. We will bow before you. We will give you the praise with all the angels in heaven that is due to your name. Glory to God in the highest. On an earth, peace among those with whom he is well pleased. We thank you, O oh Lord, and we bless your holy name. In Jesus' name, amen.